Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move on. Today is our first Sunday service in the new year. So, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You got, you got big plans? You, got, you excited for 2016? Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for 2016. I'm trusting God to do some great things this year. This is a, this is a, it's a, it's a new year. The calendar just changed. So what does that mean for you? You're older? Did I hear somebody say you're older? Yeah, right. Never been as old as you are right now. And, you know, I don't know if this is going to be depressing or not, but you're never going to be this young again either. So, whoa, look, another second just passed. Yeah, you're older than you've ever been. How many of you make New Year's resolutions? I mean, that's one of the popular things as the calendar gets ready to change. People make New Year's resolutions. Anybody want to share a resolution? Anybody? But no. Anybody broken their resolutions already? Two weeks in? Week and a half in? What is Today's the 10th. Today's my brother's birthday. He survived 45 years. Going to help somebody through the... That's a great one. That's a great one. Marty. I hope you can keep that one. Resolve to not make any resolutions. Years ago, I used to make a resolution. Every year, I made the same resolution for probably 10 years. I would go racing on New Year's Day, and uh, it was a hangover scrambles. And don't worry, I found out beforehand you didn't have to be hungover. It was not a requirement. That was just the name of the race. And uh, every year... Every year, it was so cold and so miserable, and I was so worn out at the end that I resolved that I would never race that race again that year. And I was able to keep it. By the time, you know, another 364 days goes by, you kind of forget about how miserable you were, and then you find yourself on the starting line, and you go, oh, this again. And I actually haven't raced that race for a few years, but my wife raced it this last year. Well, she started. She started. Unfortunately, she, I don't know why this happens. She, actually, she's more spiritual than I because after a, a week of, of dealing with it, she says, I think God allowed my quad to die to protect me because there were some nasty spots in there. It's like, uh, okay, we can go that route. That's, that's good. So anyway, how many of you would be surprised if I told you that God had plans for New Year's? Would you be surprised if I told you that even in the Bible, God lays out some New Year's plans, things that his people were to do? Well, it's true. None of you are raising your... Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised. Maybe you're starting to trust me. That would be, that would be good. I'd appreciate that. We're going to find out today in the book of Exodus, not Acts, in the book of Exodus, where God had some plans for the New Year. But as you go there, before you go there, would you hold your Bibles up? Repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. Father, this morning I thank you for the opportunity to start a new year with you. Lord, to be able to proverbially wipe the slate clean, to start over. I thank you that we don't enter into this new year alone, but we enter in with you. It's my prayer, Lord, that we would follow you all year. 
Lord, that we wouldn't get ahead of you, we wouldn't lag behind, but Lord, that we would walk right along with you, be guided by you, directed by you, and Lord, that you would be glorified throughout this year, throughout this body. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word that you would guide and direct, that you would lead us and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, you turn to Exodus chapter 12. I want to look at the first couple of verses just for a moment. This is what it says. I'm in the NIV, but the other, other translations read quite similar. Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt. Now you need to understand, this is before they left Egypt. They were still in Egypt. They were under bondage of Pharaoh. Many of the plagues, in fact, all except for the last plague, had taken place. They'd been slaves for 400 years, and finally, Moses has come to set the people free. But here's a sad thing. Sometimes, you know, when God's person shows up, according to God's timing, things go from bad to worse. How many of you experienced that? Sometimes, like Moses, he didn't want to go, but you know, I mean, he had run away. We, I'm not going to delve real deep into the story, but the facts of the matter are this. God had promised to set his people free. He had promised Abraham. He had told him that his offspring would be slaves in a nation. He didn't name the nation, but they'd be slaves in a nation for some 400 years and that he would raise somebody up and deliver them. God raised up Moses and sent him to deliver the people. And Moses went to the people. He spoke to the elders and everybody got excited about it. And then things went from bad to worse. All of a sudden, Pharaoh decided, well, you just have too much time on your hands. You're lazy. So now you got to start making, you got to collect all the straw to make the bricks and and things did not go the way that Moses had intended. It went from bad to worse, to even worse. And when things start going from bad to worse, we have the opportunity to make a decision. We can either decide that we are going to follow God and trust him in his plan, even though we don't understand it or even maybe like how things are going, or we're going to stomp our feet, cross our arms, and walk out and say, well, this must not be God because it's not the way that I want it to go. Let me encourage you, trust God. Trust him. If you can trust him and rejoice in the good times, well, then learn to trust him and try to rejoice in the bad times because you know he's got it all under control. Amen? All right, let's move on. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. I want, to, I want to stop right there for just a second and make this note. As I said, they were clearly still in Egypt. They were in the midst of some problems. They were just getting ready to leave. It wasn't safe. But something was about to happen, and because of that, God said, this is to be for you the new year. This now is the first month of your year. Let me tell you, church, when God shows up, he changes time. 
When God shows up, he changes everything, including the way that we view time. Time had been recorded the same way ever since Adam and Eve were walking on the earth, up until the time that Pharaoh was there and Moses was there. But God came to Moses and he says, let me tell you something. I'm getting ready to do something, and this for you is going to be the first month of your year because I'm changing things. I'm making things new. Isn't it interesting God has the authority and the ability to make all things new. It says in Revelation that, that on that day after judgment and the new heavens and the, earth and the new earth, God said, I am making all things new. But you know, he's, he's not waiting until then to make some things new. Things like you and me. How many of you know you are part of that all that God wants to make new. You are part of that all. Back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, he or she. Let's be a little gender neutral in that, if I can say that without getting people all freaked out. He or she is a new creation. The old is gone. Is anyone here today? You, you, you laugh, and I honestly, I'm not saying that because it was quiet. I'm saying that to drive home a point. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if anyone is in Christ, is anyone here, then you're a new creation if you're in Christ. The old is gone. Oh, for crying out loud, let's stop trying to resurrect the old in this new year. The old is gone. Quit digging them back up. Quit breathing life back into them. The old is gone. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. The old has gone. Think about this. Prior to Jesus' birth, prior to his life, Time was recorded according to the reign of various kings, but after his arrival, time has been marked differently. While I was a kid, it was B.C. and A.D. Anybody remember that? B.C., before Christ. A.D., Anno Domini, which means the year of our Lord. That's the way it's been for 2,000 years. B.C. and A.D., but all of a sudden, in the last couple of years, some, I don't know, atheistic scientist, some guru sitting in some college somewhere decided, boy, that's just offensive. That's offensive that we would refer to time according to the hero of Scripture. I mean, what about those religions that don't believe in Jesus? That's got to be offensive. So you know what they call it now? BCE. And CE, which is supposed to stand for before common era, or error, and common era. Oh, we're in the common era. But, but what, happened, you know, I, what happened to change time? What happened at that moment where they decided, oh, well, this, everything before this is before common era, and everything after this is common era? You know what happened? Jesus happened. 
I think they ought to change it to before Christ's emergence and Christ's emergence. We can play that game, can't we? If they can go change the stuff, why don't we just change it right back? And while we're at it, let's take back the rainbow. Anybody with me? So a little bit of straight pride, take back the rainbow. That was God's covenant. Oh, don't get me started. Might be too late, I don't know. But something happened at, I don't know, around the year zero or one or five or whatever. Jesus came, and when Jesus shows up, church, time changes. When Jesus shows up, everything changes. And you know what? I can. How many of you have ever been in a church service when Jesus showed up? How many of you stopped looking at your watch and stopped worrying about how the Seahawks were doing? Because Jesus showed up. I'm here to tell you that when Jesus shows up and you start to recognize who's sitting in the room with you, it changes the way you worry about time. All of a sudden, when the Spirit of God is moving, when He is doing things, and He is right here, and He's, and he's nudging you and touching you, and you're getting those Holy Ghost goosebumps, and you start to weep, or, or, or however it happens to you, when you can sense that God, it really doesn't matter what's going on. It really doesn't matter if the, if the roast burns. It really doesn't matter if I'm late getting home or getting to a restaurant. Why? Because Jesus changes everything. Well, we know that, and we can nod our heads, and we can say amen when I'm up here passionately saying that, but can we start to live it? Can we say this is for us the new year, and when Jesus shows up, all bets are off. When Jesus shows up, something new is happening in me and in you because I'm in anyone, and I am in Christ, and I am a new creation. The old is gone. It's enough about the calendar. Let's move on to something important or some more important. The Lord declared a couple of observances for Israel in this new year. We'll just go ahead and read down here a little ways back to Exodus chapter 12. We'll pick up in verse 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month. Oh, hey, what's today? (laughs) Today's January 10th. You know, I was going to preach this last week, but it's a little more fitting, maybe. On the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people that there are, you're to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with uh, what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without any defect, You may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they're to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it. Over the fire, head and legs and inner parts, don't leave any till morning. If some is left till morning, you got to burn it. Drop down to verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. 
The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And this is to be a day that you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So on this first of the year, the, the new year, they had a new observance. They were to, on the 10th day, take a lamb, a year old lamb that was spotless, that was pure. And they were to take it into their home for four days, get to know the lamb, have some fellowship with this lamb. So it goes from being part of the herd really to being part of the family. And on that 14th day at twilight, they were supposed to kill the lamb, drain its blood. They were going to roast the lamb and eat it, but they had to take the blood of the lamb. They had to paint it over the doorposts of the house. And this initiated the Passover. I'm not going to spend an awful lot of time. We just, we just read it. God said, this, this blood on your door is going to be a sign for you. And when I see it, or when the, when the angel of death that I send sees it, he will pass over your house, and you will be spared. No matter what I do to Egypt, when I destroy the firstborn of Egypt, no matter what else I do to Egypt, you will be okay. There's a lot of stuff going on in our world today. There's a lot of stuff going on in our country. How many of you hardly recognize this country that you grew up in? It's sad and it's frustrating and it's, and it's discouraging, but you know what? I still love this country, but I love my Jesus more. And I have this confidence that no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens politically, socially, economically, I'm going to be okay because God is for me and not against me. Amen? We need to stay focused on that. We need to stay focused on the Lord and on, on unity with the Lord and, and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what else we need to stay focused on? Reaching as many people as we can. God has kept us here for such a time as this. So let's stop looking and, and being all scared and freaked out and worried and willy-nilly about the things that are happening. And why don't we start looking and saying, hey, I got, I got at least another chance. I got an opportunity to reach my neighbor. I got an opportunity to reach my family member, my friend, my coworker. God has given me this day, and this is my day, and I'm going to take it. Back to the Passover. It was a reminder to them that, that when, the, when the angel of death came over, them in Egypt, he passed over. So that very first time, that very first night, there was somebody killed in every house in Egypt, but in Israel, in all the homes of Israel, and not just the people who were Israelite by birth, but the people who had adopted Judaism, who had come under that umbrella. They also went ahead and painted their doorposts. The Bible says that when, when Israel left Egypt, there was people from every other nation that walked out with them. You want to talk about unity, that's the only time that it talks about there being other people. Once they got out of Egypt, you know who they were? They were Israel. Didn't matter what their background was, they were Israel. God is really good about adopting us into his family and, and making us a new thing. Say that to say, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you know Jesus Christ, you're a Christian, you're a new creation, you're part of this family, you're part of this body. And so God was establishing here that not just on that first Passover night, but every year they were to observe the Passover. Every year they were to remember what it was that God had done for them. 
It was a reminder every year that God spared the faithful and that the angel of death passed over them. It's good for us to have an annual reminder of great things going on, don't you think? I mean, we just got done celebrating Christmas. That's a, that's a neat thing. That's an exciting thing. We just went through our new year, January 1st. But at the start of the new year, for God's people, and, and let's just forget what the date was and what the month was. I think it's the month of Abib in, in the Jewish calendar. Let's forget about that for a minute and just look at it as the first, as the new year. God's first desire for his people then and his people today as we cross the threshold from one old year into a new one was that we would first and foremost remember what he has done for us. I'm not talking about dwelling on how bad you were and dwelling on how rotten you were. That wasn't part of it. It was simply remember when the opportunity came to bring death to your house, I passed over. Remember how I spared you. Remember how I blessed you. You need to remember this. Not everybody was so blessed. Every household in all of Egypt outside of the land of Goshen where the Israelites were living, every household from the poorest up to Pharaoh lost their firstborn in every single house. But in the house of the people of Israel, those who had been faithful and obedient to paint the door, not one person died. God said, I want you to remember as you come into the new year, all that I've done for you. Has God been gracious to anybody here? Merciful? Forgiving? Compassionate? Has he provided? Has he loved you when you haven't deserved it? Has he forgiven you multiple times for stupid things that you, you swear every year you're going to quit doing? Then as we cross into the new year, I think one of the first things that we need to do is remember what he has done for us. What better way to start the year? That's why we're having communion at the end of the service. We're going to remember what God has done for us. Remember how he's poured out his grace and his mercy and his passion and his compassion. Remember how he's changed us from dark to light. How we've gone from being enemies to being called friends of God. How many people look forward to New Year's because it represents a, a clean slate, an opportunity to start over fresh? Lots of people. But let me tell you this, without the inclusion of God, what do they have? Too often just a hangover and some regrets. That's a, that's a great way to start a new year. Not. We have something different because we have the Lord. Let's remember, that's, that's the first and foremost thing this new year. But we need to understand this as we move on to the next point. The New Year's celebration didn't end with Passover. It was just beginning. 
That was just the beginning. Re remember when this happened? It happened on their, the, the last day that they were in Egypt. The angel of the Lord passed over them and then told them to get moving because you are on to a new thing. I'm taking you to the new land, to the promised land. I'm taking you into a, into a new life. And so the Passover and them remembering what God had done was not the end. It was just the beginning. Next came the feast. The very next day started the feast of unleavened bread. Let's go down to Exodus chapter 12, starting verse 15. For seven days you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. Yeast always represents sin in the Old Testament. Yeast represents, because, you know, I mean, and, and I'm, sure, I'm sure you've all heard this. A little bit works through the whole batch. Yeast is like that. Yeast or leaven, whatever. It, just, it doesn't take very much to work through a whole batch of dough and cause a whole thing to rise and, and cause problems. This is, what, this is what God was saying. He was equating yeast to sin because it doesn't take an awful lot of sin to destroy us, does it? How much sin did it take to hang Jesus on the cross? A bite of a piece of fruit in a garden called Eden. Doesn't seem like much, does it? A little bit works through the whole batch. Listen, to what, listen again to what it says. For seven days you're to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it, from the first day through the seventh, must be cut off from Israel. What a bummer it would have been to go through the Passover. Think about this. You go through the Passover, you've sacrificed lamb, you've painted the doorposts of your house. You've heard your Egyptian neighbors waking up and crying. But you were spared. Your, your firstborn son is still alive. What a bummer to go through that, to leave Egypt, walk out of that land of bondage, that land of sin, that land of shame, to walk out of that, get out in the desert and be cut off from your people because you just neglected to get rid of the yeast. That's exactly what the Lord is saying here. The first day, get rid of it. You're a new creation. Get rid of the sin. Your new creation, get rid of the habits, get rid of the addiction, get, get, rid of the, get rid of the garbage that Jesus died for. Get rid of it. Oh, I know we struggle. I know there's things that takes some time, but you know, we have our responsibility to put it behind us. We have our responsibility to, to change the channel or read different magazines. We have our responsibility to associate with different people, to, to associate with people who are going the direction that we want to go. And God was very serious when he said, look, if you don't get rid of the yeast, the yeast, if you don't get rid of the leaven, you're going to be cut off from my people. Everything that I've done for you to this point isn't going to matter. That doesn't sound like a once-saved, always-saved doctrine, does it? 
It sounds like a God who's very serious about our salvation, though. I've done my part, God says, now you do yours. What does it mean for us as believers? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Start in verse 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. You see, Jesus is our Passover lamb. What they were doing there was pointing to. It was a type of Christ. It was pointing to when Jesus would come and actually be sacrificed on the cross. And Paul tells us here that our, our Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, has been sacrificed. We don't have to celebrate. We don't have to worry about the feasts and the festivals. Now, that's, that's not saying that we can't, because we can, we can sell, you can celebrate Passover today with full recognition of who Jesus is and what that Passover lamb represented. It's going to be very, it should be much more real to you now, understanding that that Passover lamb, Jesus, has been sacrificed, that his blood has been poured out, that we have salvation and forgiveness, but he fulfilled the law, so we don't have to worry about those feasts anymore, but we can participate if we want. But here's the, here's the fact, Jesus, as our Passover lamb being sacrificed once to take away the sin of the world, now it's our responsibility to rid our lives of sin. We're warned a number of times in a number of places, as I said earlier, that a little yeast works through the whole batch. Let's forget about the Yeast, and let's look at the sin. It doesn't take an awful lot of sin to start messing up our lives, does it? It doesn't take much compromise to start tearing us down. I've said it before, and I'll probably say it again just because it's an easy analogy. If you walk the fence for too long, you're going to fall off. Probably 99.999% of the time, you're going to fall off on the wrong side. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay, and it's going to take you further than you want to go. But we have an out in Jesus. He paid the price, but it's our responsibility. Church, don't ever forget, it's our responsibility to get rid of the yeast. So don't think that you can compartmentalize your life and reserve a little spot for sin. Jesus didn't die to save us from most of our sin. He died to save us from all of our sin. Maybe another way to put it, and any of you that have watched the comedy movie a few years back, The Princess Bride, Jesus wasn't mostly dead on that cross. He was totally dead on that cross, so he could totally pay the price of your sin. Can't compartmentalize your lives and keep a little spot for sin. Let me put it this way. This might be a bold statement for some of you to hear, but I'm not here to pat you on the head and tell you everything is good. Sometimes a pastor's job is to give you the right foot of fellowship to the seat of learning. So let me, with that in mind, tell you this. If you're not ready to surrender all of your sin, 
If you're not ready to get rid of all of the sin in your life, hear me now, you're not ready to receive Jesus. And if you're not ready to surrender all of your sin and to stop making excuses, if you're not ready to surrender that, then you are not ready to bear his name. If you know that you've got sin in your life, I'm not talking about you accidentally falling to sin. I'm not. I'm talking about you know that there's things that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing, but you do them anyway. You need to stop. And so that we don't get too high and mighty, if we know that there's things that we ought to be doing, but we're not doing them, James calls that sin too. And we need to start doing what we ought to be doing. Jesus died for that. I read a pastor's comment not too long ago. I don't remember who it was, but he was talking about all the stuff that we laugh at these days. Television shows that are replete with sexual sin. Everything from you know, people just bouncing from partner to partner to now same-sex stuff, and it's, and it's become the norm, and, and now we, we laugh at it. We go, oh, wow, you know, we're entertained by it. We think it's funny. And this pastor's point, and I, I agree wholeheartedly with him, shame on us if we're watching that garbage, shame on us if we're laughing at that garbage, Let's get this in our heads. There is nothing funny about sin because sin put Jesus on the cross. And for us to laugh about what put our Savior on the cross, what side does that put us on, his or the enemy's? We're not, church, what we do here, this isn't just a Sunday go to meet and let's feel good about life and go out and live we're talking about something far more important than Monday through Saturday, Sunday. We're talking about eternity here. And so I said, I'll say it again. If you're not ready to give up your sin, then you are not ready. You are not ready to accept Christ. If you're not ready to give up your sin, you are not ready to bear his name and call yourself a Christian. It's a new year. Let's have a new attitude. And a new life. I'm not, hey, I'm not here to beat anybody up and be mean, but I got to tell you, we just got to do it right. Amen? And I'll tell you what, I've been on the other side. I've had much more fun serving the Lord. My life has been much more exciting, much more thrilling, much more fulfilling than it ever was riding the fence or walking full-blown in sin. Sin is sweet for a season, but payday comes and it's steep. Let's consider 1 Corinthians as we get ready to close. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writing again, and he's talking back about what we read in Exodus. Talking back about the, the journey that Israel took. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. What he's saying is they, they had a, a degree of fellowship. The cloud was God's presence among the people. They were all there. And they all passed through the sea. 
Verse 2, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. He's saying they had fellowship, they had blessing, they were involved in what God was doing at the time, every single one of them. Nevertheless, verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things happened, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and, and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I'm going to stop right there because who he was talking about was the people that celebrated that first Passover. Who he was talking about was the people that had that first celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And God had warned them beforehand, you don't get rid of the yeast, i.e. you don't get rid of the sin, you're going to be cut off. Doesn't matter what you've been through. Doesn't matter how I blessed you, how I saved you, how I provided for you. If you don't get rid of it, you're in trouble. We can't base... We can't base our future on past experience. We have to keep it fresh. Think about this. Many left Egypt in that first Passover, but only two, only two made it to the promised land. That was recorded to serve as an example for us. So back on point. Let me get ready to close and we'll take communion together. Number one, Jews had been, the, the, the Jewish people had been given New Year's tradition by God, and it was twofold. Number one, to remember, celebrate, and commemorate their salvation, that the angel of death had passed over them. We do well to remember what Jesus has done for us. And number two, to take stock and do a cleansing of their lives from that day forward. So as we step into this new year, we step into a, into a new opportunity. Let's remember what God has done. Let's rejoice. Let's not, let's not sell it short. We're going to have communion, and that is to remember what Jesus has done. Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you show, I guess I should have said Paul said that, you show the Lord's death until we remember this do in remembrance. This isn't just some religious rite that we go through. This is something that is so, so important. But let's not stop with that. I'm hitting this, I'm hitting this, I'm hitting this. I know, repetitive, but we repeat things that we need to remember. Let's not stop with that. Let's make it our desire, our resolution, our purpose this year to get rid of the junk that hinders us. To get rid of those things that set Jesus on the cross in the first place. Can we make it our purpose to see how close to Jesus we can get this year and how far away from sin. 
For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.